The Week in Doubt, episode 267. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. Let's see, any house cleaning to take care of before we start? Uh, yes, I believe I do have a correction to take care of. Last week I covered a bunch of news stories, including a couple that were outside the usual wheelhouse of the show. One of them was the tragic story of August Ames, a 23-year-old adult film star who committed suicide after facing an online backlash for some comments she had made regarding her refusal to shoot a scene or scenes with a male adult film star who had shot gay porn in the past, citing fear of HIV infection, etc. And in passing, keep in mind last week's episode was completely unscripted, I said that I thought adult film stars were required by law to get regularly tested for sexually transmitted diseases. Turns out, nope, not the case. The testing is technically voluntary, and it's industry regulated. That makes this the second week in a row I've discussed porn on the show. But anyway, onward. So after covering that story last week about Patreon's controversial new fee, I decided to pay a visit to my own Patreon page. I had recently discovered that Patreon conducts a quote-unquote exit survey whenever someone decides to stop supporting a creator. So I decided to take a look, and it looks like I lost a total of three patrons, I think that's what it was, over the last couple of years. And I think it was just last week that I stated I was up to about 40 bucks a month. Well, it looks like I dropped down to about 33. I'm not complaining. I just wanted to try to be factual and offer that update on the numbers since it differs from what I said last week. I noticed that one person's exit survey cited financial reasons. And I'm totally cool with that. I understand completely. In fact, I'd like to thank the person for supporting the show for as long as they did. Another person offered a reason that definitely got me thinking. It was in their own words, and I take it English may not have been their first language. It reads as follows. Stop engaging with the media the creator is. And I joked on the Weekend Out Facebook page that I keep picturing Yoda saying it. Stop engaging with the media the creator is. <laughs> I don't know if that was entertaining or douchey, but I, I promise to never do a Yoda impersonation on the show again. Did I just say Yoda? <clears throat> Yoda. But joking aside, I appreciate the constructive criticism, and I think I get what they're saying. The name of the show is The Week in Doubt, which to me seems to imply that I'm supposed to be offering a weekly update from a skeptical or atheistic perspective. And I know I do a lot of episodes where I tackle a single topic as opposed to reviewing or discussing an assortment of news stories. And I know you can't please everyone. Some people like the episodes where I discuss the news and play clips. And other people prefer the little documentary specials or episodes where I take on a specific topic. And believe it or not, strangely enough, some people even say they prefer those long, free-form, meandering stream-of-thought episodes. I'm sure some of you out there would strongly disagree. You may find them tedious or even borderline torturous. But maybe I'll make an effort to start covering the news more again, while still producing some of that other content as well. To be honest, I think my favorite episodes to do, and the ones I'm probably the most proud of, are the documentary-type episodes. Krampus, The Religion of the Founding Fathers, all those assorted holiday episodes, etc. 
I've always been a history buff slash documentary junkie, and I find that there's something very gratifying about making my own little documentaries, but I also see the merit and importance in fighting the good fight and offering a weekly roundup of stories that shine a light on the religious nonsense and hypocrisy out there. Anyway, speaking of the news, how's that for a segue? Uh, let's do some news stories. We'll start with something Christmassy. It is December after all. Here's one from the Huffington Post entitled, Oxford Researchers Make Startling Discovery About Ancient St. Nicholas Relic. And it looks like the story was written or updated December 11th, and it's by Carol Curavilla. Researchers at Oxford University have used modern scientific technology to test a religious relic believed to belong to St. Nicholas, the 4th century Christian bishop whose generosity inspired the legend of Santa Claus. Tom Higgum and Jorge Kazan, directors of the Oxford Relics Cluster, used radiocarbon dating to investigate a pelvic bone fragment thought to belong to the saint. The test showed that the bone fragment dates to the 4th century, the period when some historians believe St. Nicholas died. Higgum, a professor who works with Kazan and others at Oxford to apply scientific techniques to the study of relics, told HuffPost that it's rare for relics to date back to the time period matching when a saint is believed to have died. He estimated that only one of every 20 relics he's encountered stands up to this kind of scientific scrutiny. It's much more likely for the relics to come from a somewhat later historical period. But this bone fragment appears to have defied the team's expectations, suggesting a possibility the bones may have belonged to St. Nicholas himself. We are always surprised when, despite all of the possible opportunities for material to be lost or replaced by something else, that the age we measure for relics such as these come out to be the same age as historically attested. Higgum told HuffPost in an email, it doesn't always happen. In this case, the date we measured in the laboratory overlapped perfectly with the age expected for St. Nicholas. Or laboratory for my uh, friends on the other side of the pond. Christian, Christian religious relics are physical objects that have an association with a saint or with Jesus Christ. They can be fragments of a human body, pieces of something the saint owned, a shirt or book, or something the saint touched. In the Catholic tradition, relics are believed to be vehicles through which God brings healing and works miracles. As a result, relics are often kept in churches and quote-unquote venerated by the faithful, who come to touch, kiss, or pray next to these sacred objects. St. Nicholas is believed to have lived in the 4th century in Myra, Asia Minor, an area now part of modern-day Turkey. Legends about the bishop paint him as a generous soul who gave freely to the poor. He was buried in Myra, but in 1087, his remains were apparently stolen and transported to Bari, Italy. His relics are still buried in a crypt at the Basilica San Nicola in Bari. After the Protestant Reformation, devotion to the saint remained strong in Holland, where he was known in Dutch as Sinterklaas. His myth was eventually tangled with Nordic folktales of a magician who punished bad children and rewarded good children with gifts. The legend crossed the Atlantic with Dutch colonists in the 17th century. Sinterklaas was eventually adopted by America's English speakers as Santa Claus and became known as the jolly, generous fellow who presented children with gifts at Christmas time. And this article goes on for quite a bit, but I, I think we've uh, read enough of that one. 
And I've long known that it's thought Santa Claus is a kind of amalgam or a you know, composite figure, inspired in part, obviously, by this 4th century bishop, Nicholas of Myra. And also it's thought by a heavy dose of uh, Nordic uh, folklore and mythology. It's often posited that Odin, the chief god in the Nordic pantheon, was one influence. But I'm not sure who this magician figure they're referencing is. I try to do a Christmas special every year. In the very first Weekend Out Christmas special, I give a kind of general overview of the history of Christmas. And I do discuss some of the pagan origins, including pagan influences on the Santa Claus figure. And I did another episode a couple of years back in which I take a look at the so-called companions of St. Nicholas. And in that episode, I talk about one of my favorite figures, Krampus. Uh, another one I also discuss is Necht Ruprecht, I think it is. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. This kind, who kind of looks like a wizard, this kind of uh, patriarchal old man figure. And I wonder if that's who they're alluding to, but I think there's, there's numerous figures like that. All right, now let's jump to something a bit more controversial, a Roy Moore story. And uh, unless you've been living in a cave, Roy Moore lost his bid for the Senate uh, last night, thankfully. And I've often stated on the show that I tend to think of myself as a kind of left-leaning independent, but that I'm kind of turned off by that whole my team versus your team political partisanship mentality. But nevertheless, this is a time when I'm really glad that the Republican candidate lost because the Republican candidate in question is Roy Moore, a Bible-thumping son of a gun who, if the allegations are true, also molested uh, a number of underage kids. I believe while he was serving as a district attorney in his 30s, he managed to get, I think, a 14-year-old girl back to his office and convinced her to strip down, and he also stripped down, and there was some touching, etc., uh, nasty stuff. And then there was even stories, I think, that he admitted to of him back when he was in his 30s or whatever, of getting permission from the parents of underage girls, uh, I think girls in, in this case who were 16, and then dating them and engaging in uh, romantic or sexual relationships with them. So let's say even at the time or in his neck of the woods uh, that... 16 is the age or was the age of consent, uh, still just gross, you know, still, um, you know, sleazy stuff, in my opinion. He's kind of the Ted Nugent of redneck politicians, I guess. Um, but anyway, luckily he lost and it was pretty disconcerting that there are a lot of people in his corner and among his base who were quite ready to justify voting him in despite this alleged behavior just because they didn't want to see a Democrat elected to the position. But here's a story from Right Wing Watch. Dave Dobbenmeyer, Roy Moore should lie about misconduct allegations if it advances the kingdom of God. And this is dated December 12th. And it looks like it's by Kyle Mantila or Mantia. I'm horrible with names, and yet I always get this particular guy when I cover right-wing watch stories. 
On his Pass the Salt Live webcast this morning, religious right activist Dave Daubenmeyer said that Roy Moore has no obligation to tell the truth regarding multiple allegations that he pursued sexual relationships with teenage girls when he was in his 30s, and that, in fact, it is better for him to lie about it if doing so will help to advance the kingdom of God. And I'll actually play a clip. I heard somebody say the other day, this this is Judge Roy Moore Day. I'm kind of heading that way, okay? I get, I, I want to scream on Facebook. I do scream on Facebook. I want to scream more on Facebook. When I hear people say, well, Judge Moore is not worthy of the office if he's lying about what he did. I want to grab him and I want to slap him upside the stinking head. Because Judge Moore is trying to infiltrate an ungodly system. And Judge Moore, the stakes in this uh, uh, campaign are so great for the cause of Christ. And Judge Moore is being lambasted by the holier-than-thou Christians who think it says we can never lie. And that is not what that says. In fact, it's best to lie if it advances the kingdom of God. Uh Uh-oh, there I said it. There I said it. Wow, so there's a pleasant guy for you. And I like how he's turning on other Christians for actually having a conscience and speaking up against a guy who used his power and influence to sexually prey on teenage girls. Really, these other Christians are holier than thou because they have a problem with that or specifically a problem with lying about that. And so this guy thinks it's in keeping with Christian values to approve of a man who preyed on underage girls lying about it just because you don't want to see someone from the other team get elected to that position. Ugly stuff, man. But once again, luckily it's moot because... Roy Moore lost. And I was debating whether or not to even discuss this next story, just because I don't know how much there is to say about it. But I'm referring to that uh, attempted bombing that took place in Times Square. I think that story broke around Monday morning, and it's now November the 14th, as I'm recording this, 2017, the year of our Lord, Anno Domini. So, um... I guess the reason why I say there doesn't seem to be much to say about it is because I feel like kind of similar to those mass shooting incidents we experience here in the States. It's one of those wash, rinse, repeat type of things. It seems like we're always either experiencing a a mass shooting or an attempted terrorist attack, you know, and relatively speaking, It was a rather, and I hesitate to say this, but quote-unquote minor event as far as terrorist attacks or attempted terrorist attacks go. Luckily, and I certainly ain't gonna cry for him, um, the person who was the most seriously hurt uh, by the blast was the terrorist himself. It looks like his name was Akaya Yula or Akaya Allah, I'm not sure. Yeah, so this is dated the 11th. New York bomber sought an ISIS-inspired attack with failed device investigators, say. 
Police captured a suspect in what they called a quote-unquote terror-related incident in the transit system near Times Square during rush hour on Monday morning. An improvised low-tech pipe bomb device was affixed to his chest with Velcro and zip ties. The explosion, which occurred around 7.20 a.m. in the subway near 8th Avenue and 42nd Street, immediately plunged the commuter hub into chaos. Five people have been treated at two Mount Sinai hospitals for minor injuries related to the incident. The hospital said in a statement to the Huff Post they had all been released by 5 p.m. local time. Police identified the suspect as 27-year-old Aikayed Allah, who they said is a U.S. resident from the Bangladeshi city of Chittagong. I'm, I'm probably butchering that. According to investigators, Allah or Ula, or I, I, have, I have no idea, who had, I should just give up on names, who had no criminal record, triggered the bomb intentionally and mentioned the self-described Islamic State after his arrest. He last visited Bangladesh on September 8th, authorities said. Law enforcement officials told the Associated Press the suspect used matches, a light bulb, and a 9-volt battery to ignite a pipe stuffed with explosive material, but the blast wasn't powerful enough to create harmful shrapnel. The man was injured himself and had burns on his hands and abdomen, as well as lacerations, authorities said. He was being treated at Bellevue Hospital. So I'm just relieved that it was a quote-unquote failed attempt and that the perpetrator was the only person who appears to be really seriously harmed. There's not a really detailed description of what kind of injuries the victims sustained, but the feeling I get from the reporting is that they were relatively minor. And so here's another right-wing watch story, and this one is about Jim Baker. Right-wing watch usually has a new video every week highlighting Jim Baker's asinine shenanigans. And th this story is entitled, It has been decided in heaven that Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States of America. At first, I thought maybe they were referring to a potential run for a second term, but looks like the events they're referring to took place during the 2016 election. And this is by, uh, by, by our friend Kyle again. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his, uh, his surname this time. On his television program yesterday, End Times Prepper Pastor Jim Baker interviewed Sadhu Sundar Selvaraj. It says who has born, but I think they meant who was born to a Hindu family, but converted to Christianity as a teenager, and whom Baker hails as a modern-day prophet for supposedly having prophesied Hurricane Harvey and the destruction it would cause to the city of Houston. But I'll actually uh, play a clip here. The President of the United States, I actually believe, and some believe, that God chose this man. Absolutely. I was going to say, why did God choose him? I asked you first, do you think God chose Donald Trump to become our president of our United States? You know, in the year 2016, in the month of August, yeah. I was at a conference in Lancaster, California. And uh, I wasn't thinking or praying about the elections. So, uh, because I was not focused on that. But one evening... Another man of God was speaking, and I was just sitting in the meeting, and I was just praying. When I suddenly I felt 
in my spirit i heard a voice say come up when i heard the word come up my spirit was caught up to heaven and i appeared at the council of the prophets and abraham was seated there being the chairman of the council hmm. and when i stood on the right side of abraham and uh, as soon as i came there and i looked at abraham uh, just a little later i saw the spirit of donald trump appear there and abraham looked at me and he said it has been decided in heaven that donald trump will be the next president of the united states of america oh <clears throat> so this guy claims to have gone up to heaven and, and and was told directly by abraham that donald trump was going to be elected president of the united states and you know how donald trump loves to have his ego stroked so i imagine if he was told this story he'd probably be like yeah yeah that's about right i won't even try to do a donald trump impersonation it's funny I, i'm looking at this guy and he um he looks like a traditional indian sadhu or guru type of figure long flowing hair and beard wearing some kind of traditional garment but a uh, christian convert and for some reason when i look at the guy i just keep thinking if you tied a bandana around his head he could be like a caramel version of one of those duck dynasty guys It'd fit right in but thanks thank you for converting to christianity coming to the united states and spreading your nonsense for the religious right as if we didn't have enough of that already let's see next a local story a satanic temple may sue over Boston City Council invocation. And this is from NBC Boston. Members of a satanic temple are threatening to sue the Boston City Council as leaders of the group say they're being blocked from praying before council meetings. Members of a satanic temple are threatening... Wait, that's exactly why I just read. The article repeats itself. Samuel Wormwood says members of the satanic temple are still seen as outcasts in mainstream culture. We have people walking around saying we sacrifice babies. We want the world to collapse, said Wormwood, leader of the Boston chapter. And he's constantly trying to change the narrative. There is no member of the Boston chapter that would believe in the devil or God, said Wormwood. He wonders if the misconception of his group is preventing it from being a part of a long-standing tradition of the invocation of prayer before Boston City Council meetings. For the past year, Wormwood says the temple's been shut out. Not only have they failed to separate church and state, they have endorsed and pushed the institution of Christianity, said Wormwood. Each counselor is allowed to bring someone, usually a priest, rabbi, or a mom, to bless and encourage the community. City Council President Michelle Wu says all religious traditions are welcome, but they have to be invited. There is a long list of folks all of us want to bring in, she said. At-large City Councilor Anissa Asabi George, I think it is, says the list is so long some deserving people have to be turned away. I'm not going to be bullied into inviting a particular group, said Asabi or Asabi George. Wormwood says, let everyone pray or don't pray at all, and unless his group is welcome, he'll be raising some legal hell. We're hoping for 2018 to have a fully formed demand letter and legal case behind it, said Wormwood. The city council schedule shows all prayer times are booked for the remainder of the year. And there's a, an embedded clip here. And also an unskippable Disney ad, so forget it. it it's probably just uh, audio of what I already read. And even though I support or have a fondness for the Satanic Temple in a number of ways. I appreciate their 
separation of church and state work. I appreciate the fact that they're technically non-believers. You know, it's uh, the Satanic Temple practices a non-theistic brand of Satanism, kind of similar to Anton LaVey's The Church of Satan, but with more of a humanist or leftist bent, I would say. And I also like the dark kind of gothic aesthetic. You know, I even recently bought a Krampus mug from them. And I actually recently bought a mug for a female friend, too, from the Satanic Temple. It had a pentagram combined with the female Venus symbol. But just in the spirit of intellectual honesty, I, I definitely get why some people are confused as to what the Satanic Temple is all about, or what non-theistic Satanism in general is all about. I, I think the average person in the street is unaware that non-theistic Satanism even exists. And when they hear Satanism, they think of people who are literally worshiping Satan or the devil or whatever. And they're picturing people in black robes sacrificing infants or whatever, you know? And so I can kind of see how someone who's not even necessarily super devout might still hear Satanist. There's a Satanist coming to the city council to perform a prayer. You know, it's, <laughs> um, I kind of get why the average person might be put off by that. And I think there is a certain kind of trolling aspect to what the Satanic Temple does, which I personally get a chuckle out of, uh, kind of a guilty thrill. And I have seen members of the Satanic Temple perform prayers at other city council meetings. And I think you can find video on YouTube. It's actually pretty funny. Um, just looking at the faces on everyone surrounding this black-robed figure reciting some kind of incantation or whatever. But of course, what the Satanic Temple is trying to do is, you know, they're trying to make a point about the separation of church and state and that religious beliefs, even religious beliefs that the Christian majority may find distasteful, should still be tolerated. And it might be different if you had a religious group that was actually promoting you know, things like ritual sacrifice or whatever. But once again, the Satanic Temple is basically an atheist or humanist group in gothic attire, you know, so, so to speak. And I'm not saying that as an insult. I actually dig it. Once again, I support a lot of what they're doing. But I think that's probably going to do it. So I hope that those of you who prefer these news roundup episodes... Uh, that you got your fill this week. Phil, no pun intended. Uh, shoot me. So, uh, so yeah, so that's a wrap. Uh, you guys know the drill. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, if you want to support the show monetarily, you can do so by using the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page or by going to patreon.com slash doubt and helping the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. And uh, hooray, you don't have to worry about that controversial fee. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.